0: It's good to be back with you again. Um, As Pastor Steve mentioned, my name is Russ Wilson. Uh, I am an infrequent attender here at Willow Park Church, and that's because I'm on the road about 50% of the time and traveling and um, visiting churches across Western Canada. This past Wednesday, it was my privilege to have lunch with Pastor Phil, and uh, we discussed uh, this morning, uh, we discussed last weekend with Rush and his opportunity to preach there, and a number of kids who came forward and found Christ for the first time, and we shared that together and rejoiced in that together. And he talked about this weekend of um, being back in England and uh, having that emotional time of, of saying goodbye to his mom and spreading her ashes. And so uh, he had just asked that uh, we would be praying for him, and I promised, of course, that I would be personally, and Pastor Steve has already done that, and so we want to uh, honor that and look forward to what God's going to do yet. In the days ahead here at Willow, it is a privilege for me to call this my home church, and I'm glad each and every time that I get a chance to uh, come and attend. And then as well, it's just a a real privilege to be able to come and share God's Word with you this morning, which we're going to do out of um, Luke chapter 10. So... Uh, which is the truth. We are going to do it out of Luke chapter 10, but I just wanted to point out that's going to confuse you if you look too much there. Let me just pray for us, and then we are going to dive into God's word together. If you have Bibles, you can be turning there to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Peek a little bit as I'm praying. It's okay. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come, and you invite us to come, and even as we're going to see a little later in the message, you invite us to call you Abba. Loosely translated, it's Daddy. Daddy. And so Abba, Abba, we come, your children, we come to you this morning. We come right into your throne room because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done. He was the one who died on the cross. He was the one who took our sins. He paid our penalty, the Bible makes it clear. There was a price that had to be paid for sin, and he paid it because he was the perfect Sinless sacrifice. And now we have, because we're adopted as your children, we're your sons and daughters, that we get this freedom to come in and say, Abba, Daddy, we're here. And Abba, we are here this morning. And we look forward to what you, our Father, want to say to us. And so we ask you, Abba, to speak to us this morning. Clearly, um, understandably and, Father, as well, applicably that as we leave here this morning, we will know how this relates to our lives as we move into the rest of this day and tomorrow and next week and weeks and months and years ahead. I believe this message is that crucial, God, to us understanding it. And so we ask for that. We invite you. We look forward to it and we thank you in the matchless name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, amen. And amen. Some time ago, I came across this story about a, a Russian priest who had loved God and served God faithfully. And he, he got to a point in his life, however, when uh, he sensed that there was uh, a coldness that had crept into his heart, a distance between him and his God, between the Lord that he served and, and what was happening in his life. And, and so he began to just do some introspection and, and trying to figure out what's gone on, what has happened, why is this taking place. And um, he couldn't figure it out. And the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, and and he was just struggling at this latter stage of his life as to what was wrong. And so one cold Russian night, he he decided to go for a walk. He just got his coat on and got his hat and his mitts on, and and he walked out into the Russian winter evening and and just wandered the streets of his small town that he lived in and, and was just trying to figure it out. Why is my soul... Not at peace. What's gone on? What's happened? And as he wandered, he was just so deep in thought that absent mindedly he had crossed over into a Russian military compound. And, and as he took that step across the line, all of a sudden he heard these words from a Russian military commander who yelled at him, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And the priest, of course, was caught off guard and, and he looked back at the commander and he said, pardon me? What did you say? And the commander barked the same words at him again. Who are you? And what are you doing here? And all of a sudden, the light went on in the eyes of the priest, and there's a twinkle there, and, and he looked at the military commander, and he said, how much do they pay you? And the commander said, well, what has that got to do with anything? And the priest said, because I want to offer you a job. I want you to come and work for me, and I'll pay you the exact same money that they're paying you. And the commander thought about that for a moment. And he looked at the priest. And he goes, Well, what would I do if I came and I worked for you? And the priest smiled at him and he said, Every single day for the rest of my life, I want you to ask me those same two questions Who are you? And what are you doing here? Can you answer those questions? Do you know the answers? I'm sure if we had a a screen that pulled up, all of a sudden there would be all kinds of answers going across there, saying our name or perhaps saying our job or, or saying, well, why are you here? Well, my wife dragged me here this morning or whatever the case may be. We would have a multitude of different answers perhaps as to the questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10 because I believe the answers to those two questions, which I think as our title suggests, that we must be able to answer those questions, and when I say that, I don't mean randomly, I mean biblically we need to answer them, all right? So we're going to find the answers in this passage. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 10, and then we're going to break it down and see if we can find the answers in the passage. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others... And sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the way. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house, and when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, "'Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet "'we wipe off against you. "'Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. "'I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day "'for Sodom than for that town. "'Woe to you, Chorazin! "'Woe to you, Bethsaida! "'For if the miracles that were performed in you "'had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, "'they would have repented long ago, "'sitting in sackcloth and ashes.' But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up in the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned it, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All right, let's just look at the passage. And first of all, what I want to do is kind of a a general flyover to kind of get the big picture of things. And then I want us to drill down and look at those two questions that we said we must be able to answer. And so first of all, let's just kind of go through what this story is kind of depicting for us. So in the opening verse, Jesus says, he gets the the 72 together and... and, um, It says he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Interesting. He's sending them out, but it says that he is about to go there as well. So what do I see in that? Well, I think an observation here, very simply, is that he's inviting us to partner with him in the mission that he's involved in. Because he's sending the 72 out, but he says, I'm going to go there too. You go out ahead of me. You go out and do this, but I'm going to be going there. So it's a partnership, you see, when you capture the mission of what God's called to do, it's a partnership with him. It's not us doing our own thing. So in this, he gives them some very clear instructions, and I just want to work our way through this quickly. In verse 2, it says, He told them, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Clearly, we see there that he invites them, and he calls them to be a people of prayer. He says, Ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the fathers what he's saying. Ask God to send out workers into the field. I think it's so important that you and I hear that instruction from Jesus and put it into practice as well. I think it's also important for us to understand that when he was sending these 72 out, he wasn't sending them as foreign missionaries to go across continents or oceans. He was sending them out into their local areas. And so when he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, he's talking about their local areas. And so when we pray, are we praying that we ourselves would capture the vision of of what God sees, that the the harvest is plentiful? Are we involved in the process of even saying to him, Lord, I'm willing to be an answer to the prayer, that you would be in me taking me out to the place where you want me to go? Are we praying Recently, in the end of January, I was at a conference in Steinbeck on church renewal. I know Pastor Phil's been there and a number of other leaders from this church. And as I went there with my president from my association of churches, we took in the weekend, and one of the emphases that is so clear throughout that weekend is that this is a church that is infused with prayer and are calling churches everywhere to return to this being the way in which we actually do business as a local church. And so even what Pastor Steve did this morning, I think it's so great that we would invoke this as a a key part of, not something that is sort of abnormal or unusual for us, but it's just the norm of how we conduct ourselves. I'm looking to get more and more of our pastors engaged in this process of understanding just how important prayer is and, and to see what God is doing through this movement of church renewal in Western Canada and across our nation I was there with a number of national leaders from across Canada as we sat at tables. I remember at one particular lunch hour, I was sitting there with national leaders from Toronto, and I just had to smile that these national denominational leaders from Toronto are sitting here in little Steinbach, Manitoba, trying to figure out what God's doing in our country. I found it ironic. I originate from southern Ontario, and I, so know, I know the attitude And so uh, it was great to just sit there and visit with them and talk about what God is doing in our country. But we are called to be a people of prayer. He also calls us to be a people who are alert. Because he tells them to ask God to send out workers. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So really the message there is to be alert. Understand that every time that we engage this process that God calls us into this mission that he's called us to, it's a spiritual battle. He says, be alert, be aware. Peter wrote the same kind of thing when he wrote and said to the people that he was wanting them to understand. He said, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering from 1 Peter 5. We need to be alert as we go and do the business that God's called us to. But then as well, he tells us to, um, to be focused. Because in verse 4, he says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. And so really, I think that the idea there is, is just be focused on the mission that God's called us to. Don't get all worked up with a whole bunch of other details. But do the work that he has called us to do. It's so easy to get sidetracked. And it's a day-by-day thing because we can have it nailed one day, and then the next day we're completely off track so we come back and we say, Father, I messed up. I was, I was not even on mission or on task at all. And so I want to be alert and I want to be focused. And then as well, verses 5 through to 7, he calls us to be a people of peace. He so says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it'll return to you. But it's interesting to me that as he calls them to this, the disciples aren't just announcing peace. They're actually bringers of peace because of their relationship with the Savior. And so when you and I go and move about the world in which we live, we are not just announcers of the kingdom of God. We are bringers by virtue of our relationship with Christ. And we don't go to fight. We don't go to try and, and become a problem. We go to tell the good news of who Jesus Christ is. Verses five through to twelve, or eight through to twelve. I think the call is to be steadfast. Hang in there. Because he tells us that there are going to be problems. There are going to be times when we will be resisted. There are going to be times when the message is not going to be joyfully received. And so don't get worked up about that. Just be steadfast. Hang in there. Stay the course and do the work that our Savior has called us to do. The last part of this opening section, verses 13 through to 16, is the warnings of rejection. And so when he tells them that, he talks about these different cities, and he says that there's judgment that's going to come upon them, the key verse really is verse 16 in this few verses. Because in verse 16 he says, He who listens to you listens to me, and he who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And so we need to realize that when we take this message out, there are going to be times when it's going to be heard and and maybe someone's going to think about it. There's going to be times when people are going to say, I want that, and they respond to it positively. But there are going to be times when people are going to reject it clearly. Jesus says, they're not rejecting you. And we need to own that. Because I know when it comes to sharing our faith, it's not an easy thing to do, by and large, for most of us. And it's because of this very thing, the rejection issue. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're actually rejecting me. And here's the serious part. You see, if they reject me, they are rejecting the one who sent me. Wow. So that's the overview. That's the the big part of the story here. But what I want to do is I'm going to drill down now over these next few moments and, and just look at the answers to our questions, the first question. Let's just look at the answer to what our first question is, and that's in verses 17 through to 20. So what we see here in verse 17 is that the disciples come back and they are some excited. It's interesting that we don't know how long they were gone for. We don't know if it was just kind of an overnight thing, a few days, a week, uh, months. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that when they got back from the mission that Christ has sent them on, they come back with joy. They come back with joy. It's my privilege to travel across western Canada in different churches week by week by week, talking to different pastors throughout my weeks. I wish that this was the norm. I wish that verse 17 was the constant experience that I run into, where they return with joy and they talk about the work that's going on in their midst. But so often, it's not about the joy, it's about the problems. It's about the heartache, it's about the brokenness. And it's the enemy at work in the midst of the church Because he does not want us to have the joy in doing the mission that God's called us to do. He wants us to get sidetracked so we aren't focused upon doing what it is that we are called to actually do. But these people here, they are full of excitement. And I love the fact that it says that they returned with joy. Now, I just like to picture Jesus here at this point in time, sitting there with the disciples as they've come back in. I mean, just use your imagination for a few moments. He sent out 72 people. They come back. They are all filled with joy. And as they come back, it's like they want to talk about what has happened. They want to share with Jesus what they experienced as they went out there. And so they tell him, Lord, it was amazing. Even the demons submitted to us. Now, here we see some interesting verses. After they say that, it says in verse 18, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, some scholars think that Jesus is referring to the historical reference of when Satan was first kicked out or expelled from the heavenlies. Others think it's a reference to as the demons were submitting to the 72 that went out, Jesus was watching them fall. Not really crucial to our passage as to how we understand that. The next verse talks about the authority that he had given them, verse 19. But verse 20 is the answer to our first question. Who are you? Because Jesus, as he's heard them report, it's like a gentle correction. It's not a full-fledged rebuke. He's not upset with them in the sense of saying, you totally don't get it. I mean, there were times like that. We know Peter's in here. There's times he just totally didn't get it. But here, it's not one of those times. He says in verse 20, I hear what you've said, but however, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, and he gives them their identity. He said, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Wow. Jesus clarifies for them what's the singular most important thing prior to actually getting the mission. Know who you are. Know who you are. Who are you? Jesus is interesting that he draws their identity away from what they were actually doing and draws it back to their relationship with him. You see, our identity is that I am a child of God. And it is absolutely crucial for me to see the world through that set of lenses, to understand truly who I am, that I am his child. And why this is important is because when I scale the mountains of success and I raise to the levels that perhaps God has allowed and equipped and gifted me to do, I will realize that when I'm on that mountaintop of success, that is not my identity, my identity was sealed long before I ever climbed that mountain. And the opposite is also true that when I go through those valleys of despair, when when the world is just a confusing place for me, when I don't get it and brokenness is my constant companion, that's not my identity either. You see my identity was sealed long before I went into the dark valley. My identity is that I'm a child. Of the king of kings and the lord of lords. This truth sustains us. When we go to the mountaintops and we don't get mixed up thinking, look at how impressive I am and what I succeeded at. And it also sustains me when I go through the dark valley and saying, I don't make any sense of this. I don't get it. You see, my identity in both places isn't in the activities of those places. My identity is that I'm a child of God. I am his. Moms and dads, grandpas and granddads, grandmothers. You you need to clearly understand this truth because it goes to your parenting, your grandparenting skills. Your daughter may be incredibly beautiful and intelligent, but that is not her identity. And if all you ever speak about are those two character traits... You're misjudging who she really is and who you want her to be because you want her to understand that as she engages in a relationship with Jesus Christ, her identity is in that, not in her appearance or in her mind. Your son may be a gifted athlete, but when that knee gets ripped apart and he can't do the athletic endeavors that he once did, has his identity been crushed? If we put all of our identity in that particular basket, then yeah, we'll be crushed. But our identity is sealed in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need our children and our grandchildren to truly understand that. Who are you? We have to come to a clear resolution to this question. You are not your job. You're not even your gender. You're not your marriage You're not your successes. You're not that mountaintop achievement. You're not the the mistakes that you've made. You're not the brokenness either. It's the enemy who either wants to take us on the one part and take us up on the mountaintop and say, wow, aren't you something? Look at you. And we get mixed up in our identity, but he also wants to take us into the valley of despair and say, you're a disgusting mess. You're you're a loser. You're a lost cause. And both of those are lies because our identity is, is that we are a child of God. And the Spirit of the living God wants us to understand that. Paul, he wrote about this in Romans chapter 8, where he wanted the people to understand that they had been adopted, and it changed everything for them. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, listen to this, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Now listen to this, but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul said, I want you to clearly understand you've been adopted. And so you can come into that throne room and you can cry out, Abba, which loosely translated simply means daddy. Isn't that an amazing thing that you and I have this opportunity on an ongoing basis to come walking right into the very throne room of God and say, Dad, I'm here? That's so amazing. This past week, the little one that I was holding over here earlier in the service, two-year-old Miss London was at our house, and I was in my office, and I was working on a, uh, editing a magazine that we were about to send out to our churches, and as I was sitting there editing, London had left, and, and then all of a sudden I heard her footprints come racing back into my office, and I was sitting in my swivel chair at my desk, and I turned around immediately, and, and she said, Pappy, Pappy. She said, protect me, and she jumped up into my arms. And I held her, I said, what's wrong? And she said, I got into trouble. (laughs) Now you need to know, about five minutes before that, I had sent her out of my office, and I said, don't get into trouble. (laughs) But as her grandfather, I had work to do on that computer screen that was important and significant, and my head office had asked me to get it done But when she came in, everything stopped because she's my granddaughter and my world stops for her. When you come in to the throne room of God, it stops and his attention is fully focused on you because you're his child. It's like everything else doesn't matter. The Father is listening to you. And you can say to Him, like London, I'm in trouble. And He might remind you, like I did, I just told you a few moments ago, don't get into trouble. And you can confess, I sinned and I was wrong. But you see, you're His child. And it's the enemy that wants you to think through and to identify yourself with the failures and the mistakes that you've made and become so wrapped up in that 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 somehow becomes your pure identity. And it's not. Your identity is that you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He adopted you. You are his child. Anything else as far as an identity is less than that identity. Identity. And Jesus, as excited as he was about those disciples understanding that they had ran out and the demons even submitted to him, he smiled and he said, But I want you to know the real excitement isn't in that. The real excitement is in that your names are written in heaven, your identity. So, who are you? Can you clearly answer that question? I am a child of God. I understand that. I I thought I was because of my job or my relationships or whatever else, but this morning I come back to this fundamental truth. It makes it clear for me, I know who I am. I'm a child of God. But the second question, what are you doing here? And it's interesting that Jesus responds in this unusual way. Because after he gently corrects them, and in verse 21 it says, at that time Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, he prays and he says, Father, I praise you because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. It was interesting. that there, it says, Jesus was full of joy. And scholars say it's one of the few times, now he taught about joy, he explained joy, but this is one of the few times where it says, personally, Jesus himself was full of joy. Why was he full of joy? Well, when you look at the context, the context is, is that he just sent the 72 out to mission. They come back clearly excited about the mission. They tell him what has happened in the mission. He just gently corrects them slightly and says, I'm happy for you, but make sure you understand your identity. And then he rejoices in them together about their understanding that they got the mission. They come back full of joy. Jesus says it's full of joy. Their joy was in the work that Christ gave them to do. His joy was in their response to the mission. And when you and I capture the mission that Christ has given us and operate out of the position of our identity, then we find that the joy becomes our experience as well. You see, I can't do number two if I don't get number one right. Who am I? I need to understand that. Because number one will lead me clearly to be able to answer number two. What are you doing here? I'm doing the work that God called me to do. That's what the 72 were about. That was their mission. That became their life. To do the work that the Father had called them to do. A month ago I got to share this message at Willow South and and the the Sunday morning that I was going to preach it for the first time I was in my office and I was just saying, God, is there anything else? Have I missed anything in this passage? And and he brought to mind this story that my son's 33 years of age right now and and he was five when the story happened and so I was just praying and I felt God impressing this upon me and it goes back to when he was in kindergarten. We were in a small town in Saskatchewan pastoring and it was field day. And my five-year-old son Loved to participate in all sports. He was not at that point in time in his life a naturally gifted athlete, however. And it was back in that archaic time when they only gave out three ribbons, first, second, and third. You got nothing for participating. And so I already knew ahead of time that he wasn't coming in either first, second, or third. And so as I went to field day, I was trying to think through how am I going to console him when he comes across the finish line and there's no ribbons for him. And so the race goes off, and and, and, you know, you always got those three little wiry characters come running down the field, and they're so fast, and I didn't like any of them. (laughs) I wasn't very mature back then. And so they ran the race, and they came in first, second, and third, and my son running, I got to the point where I was just hoping he wouldn't be last. And he came in second last, and that's not even crucial to the story other than I want you to know that that he crossed second last across the line. And and so I was thinking through how I was going to console him. And and he looks for me, and he finds me, and he says, Dad, did you see me run? I'm thinking, yes, you were second last. (laughs) But I didn't say that. I was just smart enough to know not to say that. He says, did you see me run? And before I could say another word, he said, Dad, I ran my best. And as God brought that to my mind a month ago, and praying about it, I thought, he got it right on both accounts. You see, he understood his identity. He said to me, Dad, he knew who he was. But he also understood what he was doing. Because he wasn't running in competition to anybody else that day. He said, Dad, did you see me run? I ran my best. You see, he wasn't running against the other kids, he was actually running for me. And there will come a moment in your life when you will take your last breath and you will come across the finish line of your life. And I think this story is applicable because when I take that last step, I'm going to be in the presence of my dad, my eternal heavenly father. And when I take that last step, I can look at him and say, Father, did you see me run? I ran my best. Because you see, my father hasn't gotten me in a competition with anybody else on the face of this earth. He's not going to, when I cross that finish line, say, oh, Russ, if you could have been just like, more like Pastor Phil, it would have been better. It might be. But that's not what my father's gonna say. My father's gonna say, I, you ran the race that I set out for you to run. And he doesn't compare me to anybody else. It's my race for him. It's your race for your father. Our identity is that we are children of God and our mission is to run the race that he's called us to run for his glory. What an incredible truth that is. How clarifying it is. And I want us just to close off in prayer this morning. And I'm going to invite the band to come up and get ready to lead us in the last song. But as we pray, it could be that, you know, maybe the story of the prodigal son is something that resonates with you as well this morning. Because that's a story about relationship as well. You see, he got his relationship wrong. He left home. But when he's out there in the field someplace and he realizes, I got it wrong, he returns to his father, right? He returns to his identity, And he comes back, and his father's ready to accept him. And so as we pray, it could be that that's going to be your experience right now. Let me just lead us at a time of prayer as the band gets ready. Father, I thank you that this race called life is not about being compared to anybody else. It's not about my identity in my achievements or in my failures. It's not about my, my identity being in my successes or in my brokenness. It's about me totally understanding I am a child of God when I ask Jesus Christ into my life. And at that moment, everything changes and I see the world through a new set of lenses and I'm on a mission then for my father and for my father alone. I run a race just for my Abba, my daddy, my eternal heavenly father. And when I cross that finish line of life and I look to you, God, I can say, Abba, did you see me run? And Lord, I hope that I can be able to say to you like my son said to me, Abba, I ran my best for you. And if that's not where we're at today, Lord, then please draw us back into that relationship with you. Allow us to come and confess and repent and get it right, understanding who we are and what we're called to do. And we'll give you, Lord, all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.